Well, hello there. Welcome to Grace. Thanks for making Grace a part of your weekend. Thanks to those who are joining us live at Fuel and our other live locations. And those of you who are checking us out online, it's good to be with you uh, this weekend. Uh, It is an honor and a privilege to be here. Uh, As Pastor Jeff said, my name is Todd. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at the Bath Campus. I've been on staff here for nine years, uh, investing all of my time into the lives of teenagers, middle school and high school students. I love it. Some of you are like, you are a brave soul. I get that. There is some good, bad, and ugly when working with teenagers, but I will tell you this, there is so much joy that is found in investing into young people. Uh, So I will tell you this, um, because of the passion of working with teenagers, it actually stems back to the influence of adults who invested into my life during those years of my life. And because of that, I get to do it for a living today. Uh, I'm married. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Katie, for five and a half years. We have two little ones. Here's a picture of Katie, and this is Graham. He's now three years old. Uh, What a joy he is, the energy and life that he brings to our family. And then we have our newer addition, our little girl. Uh, She is five months old, and this is Willow. Let's just look at her for a minute, okay, because that right there That smile, I could look at that all day. It's contagious, all right? And she is such a joy and a blessing uh, as a part of our family as well. And so it is good to be with you. We are in a conversation and in a series called Here and Now. Uh, Pastor Ryan and Christy Keir were with us last weekend and started the conversation on what it looks like to invest into the next generation as it pertains to kids. In fact, they uh, shared with us last week uh, kind of two important things. Uh, Here and now, we need to form a conviction. Form a conviction to help the next generation to discover the faith that we've found. Right? We have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, If you don't, I encourage you to like maybe explore and have an open heart and an open mind on what that looks like. But we are to form a conviction to help the next generation to come to discover the faith that we've found. It's not meant to be held on to our own. We're supposed to give it away. And we need to form that conviction that way. Pastor Ryan also shared that here and now we need to take ownership of the spiritual development of the next generation. He shared with us in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're encouraged to love our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that truth, that love that we have for God, we're to impress that upon our children, allowing their hearts and minds to understand who God is and the love that he has for each of us. Well, this weekend, my desire is for us to continue the conversation a little bit taking a look at how uh, we invest into the next generation as it pertains to teenagers specifically. And so last week, um, we looked at this verse, Psalm chapter 78, uh, starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. So the things we've heard, the things we know, right, we should share that with the next generation. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders that he has done. Well, why? Why should we do this? Well, if you look ahead at verse 6, it kind of explains why. So that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commands. And so you're seeing a pattern here. 
There's an opportunity to share with the next generation who God is, the praiseworthy things that he has done, right? And they can then in turn tell the next generation and so forth. And as I think about this, as we have this conversation as it pertains to to teenagers today, I think no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter our age, right? I think we have an incredible opportunity to set an example and a model for our teenagers to follow. If you're sitting here today and you are a parent of a teenager, I think you have the greatest opportunity. You are in the midst of it. You're in the thick of it with teenagers in your house, right? We understand there's good days. We understand there's the bad days. But I think you have the greatest opportunity to impact teenagers because they're under your roof. You're in their circles. You're in uh, the stage of life that they're in every single day. But not only do you have the opportunity to influence their lives, but this is one thing that I know about teenagers. They love being together. They love community with other teenagers. And so whether it's after school and they're joining, you know, in your house, uh, hanging out together, you not only have the opportunity to influence your child, but their friends as well. Maybe you're sitting here today and you yourself are a teenager. You're like, well, Todd, I don't have teenagers. Obviously, I get that. But I think you have the opportunity to influence. Maybe it's your younger siblings. Maybe it's your peers. Maybe you're an aunt and an uncle of a teenager or a grandparent of a teenager. Maybe you're simply a volunteer in middle school or high school ministry. You have an opportunity to influence and impact the next generation as we think about teenagers. Well, I think our conversation here, uh, to, to have an impact into the next generation, we have to look at the process that we just learned about in Psalm chapter 78. And, and it's called discipleship. That's a term and a process that we believe full-heartedly here at Grace. If you would look in our lobby when you walked in, uh, we, we want to know it, live it, and give it away. It being the story of Jesus, the gospel to know and understand who Jesus is for ourselves, to live it out in community with one another, but to then also not hold on to it for ourselves, but rather give it away. And we think about how to know it, live it, give it away. It's a process we call discipleship. And and to illustrate this, I want us to take a look at some different positions in this process of discipleship. And so I want you to begin thinking about individuals in your own life who might be sitting in these different positions uh, as, it, as it goes with, with discipleship here. And so there are individuals who are positioned in front of us, before us, right? These are individuals who may be older, they may be wiser, but they might have more experience in different areas of life. But I also think that the people positioned in front of us are setting us an example of what it looks like to love Jesus, and it's an example that we're looking at. I also believe there's people who are positioned beside us. And this relationship are the people that we are linking arms with, we are running through life with. These are the people who are gonna pick us up when we fall, they're gonna encourage us to keep going on, they're gonna help us stay accountable in different areas, but as we look at it, we are sharing life with this individual to figure out how to navigate this life as we move forward. So we've got people before us, we have people beside us, but there's a third seat. And I think this is a very important seat. Sometimes I think we forget this. There are actually people who are positioned behind. There are people who are sitting in the chair behind us 
who are looking at us as an example that they are living their lives for. And as we think about teenagers specifically, I want you to know something about them. Teenagers are always watching. They're always watching, trying to figure out what it looks like to navigate through this thing called life. They're looking at examples on to fi- you know, kind of figure out, man, is this a wise decision? What does it look like to pursue Jesus with my life? And so there are people positioned behind us who are looking at the way we live our lives as an example, and they're figuring out whether or not it's an example to follow. And so as you think about it, each of us are in these positions, right? We have people who are before us, people who are beside us, and people who are behind us. And as this, um, as kind of we unpack this, this is what discipleship looks like. Now, there is something that all of us have in common. I believe it actually brings us all on the same page. I think there is something that can be said that we are always navigating uncharted territory in our lives at some point or other, no matter what stage of life you're in. If you're sitting here today and you're a teenager or, or a college student, you might be navigating what it looks like to be a high school student for the first time or a college student walking the college campus and, and figuring out to, how to navigate your schedule. Some of you sitting here today, you might be new parents, and you're navigating the uncharted territory of what it looks like to raise a young child. I'll never forget that moment when they're like, yeah, you can leave the hospital. What? (laughs) I'm now responsible for this human being, and, and I have no idea what to do. Some of you are trying to figure out what it looks like to raise and parent a toddler. I'm with you. I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, right? And sometimes it's very hard but it's uncharted territory for me. I've never experienced it before. Some of you are trying to figure out what it means to parent a middle school student. All of the changes that come with a middle school student, and you're like, I I know that I was a middle school student at one time, but what does it look like to parent one? High school students, college students. Man, do I still have the voice of my child, even though they might not be living under my roof anymore. How is it, what does it look like to interact with my child now that they are a college student? For some of you sitting here today, you're exploring new territory as it looks to be an empty nester, right? You don't have necessarily the responsibility under your roof like you had, and you're like, what does life look like now uh, that I don't have my kids under my roof? And I believe that brings us all together. It gives us a commonality that we are navigating this thing called life and trying to figure it out uh, different stages for the first time. But what is true? There are always people who are positioned before us, giving us an example to follow and to model. There are people who are beside us that we get to like lean in on and try to figure out how to live life together right? People who are going to encourage us and pick us up. And then there's also people behind us, and we can't forget that, that we're setting an example for young people and other people behind us to follow. Last week, Ryan uh, said something as it pertains to our faith. And I think this is so important because I think in all of these positions, we have a great opportunity to influence people as it comes to our relationship with the Lord. He said this, he said, our faith isn't something we do. Our faith is who we are. And if we believe that to our very core, we can't help but demonstrate a relationship with Jesus for other people to follow. Well, what does it mean to influence? What does it mean to have impact? Is it important for us to impact teenagers? I believe it's important. I believe we need to do this. 
And so I encourage uh, you to begin thinking about what would it look like for you to have influence in, t- uh, in the lives of young people into teenagers. And what I want us to do, I think it starts with you and I setting an example for them to follow. And I'd look, like to look back into the Old Testament at a character by the name of Joseph. Joseph, you can uh, kind of pick up the story in the book of Genesis chapter 37, but I'm going to kind of paraphrase some backstory here and then take a look at what happened in the life of Joseph. But Joseph, starting in Genesis 37, we we kind of pick up the story and he is a teenager, he's a shepherd. Uh, He had many siblings, he was one of many brothers. And Joseph had favor in the eyes of his dad, Jacob. And reasons for that, Jacob was blessed with a son very late in age. And so because he was given a son, Joseph, so late in age, there was kind of favor that went with it. God blessed him in that moment. And so Joseph got the special treatment. He got the special attention from his dad. And the brothers are like looking in on this. They're like, wait, hold the phone. Hey, we exist too. Hello, right? But then God started to give these visions and dreams to Joseph. And in these visions and dreams, what happened is Joseph started to get a picture of him having authority and power over people, even his brothers. And when he was sharing this with his brothers, they're like, all right, we're done. We can't deal with this anymore, right? And so what they did is they plotted uh, against Joseph and ended up taking Joseph away and selling him into slavery. They took him away. They ended up taking a robe that was given to him, special treatment from his dad, a robe that was specific to him. They took this robe from him, sold him into slavery, covered the robe in animal's blood, took it back to their dad and reported and said, Dad, uh, we believe Joseph is dead. And obviously Jacob looks at the robe and, and realizes that his favorite son, right, is no longer with them. And so a bunch of time had passed. The brothers thought, we don't have to deal with Joseph anymore, so they thought. And a famine kind of swept across the land, and they were in need. The brothers, Jacob, they were struggling. And so Jacob sent his boys to Egypt to seek help, to find assistance in in, in, this difficult trial, this time that they were in. And so the boys traveled to Egypt. They went before an official. They bowed before him to ask for help. Well, that official was Joseph. Now, Joseph recognized his brothers right away, but they didn't recognize him. And so what I want us to do is kind of pick up how Joseph responded to his brothers after this long period of time. The last interaction they had was the brothers were, you know, basically kidnapping him and taking him into slavery, and that was the end of it. Well, the brothers then realized who that official was, that it was Joseph. And all this time, God was uh, with Joseph, protecting him, and he ended up getting favor with Pharaoh, and hence why he got this position of power. Well, one of the dreams that he had was actually his brothers bowing down to him. And this is what happened. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 50. It's page 44 in the Bibles there in the chairs. Feel free to uh, take a look here. Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. Take a look at how Joseph interacted with his brothers here for the first time. It says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so Jacob has now passed, 
They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. He realized that his dad was no longer living. But his brothers then came and they threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I'm fascinated by Joseph's response. To think everything that his brothers had done to him, he responds kindly. There's an example of grace. There's an example of forgiveness that's displayed here. And his outlook, his perspective on this is to say, hey, God is working in this moment. God has been with me all this time and I have an opportunity to to save lives, even my own family's lives in this moment. Well, it got my wheels turning a little bit as I'm thinking, how could Joseph forgive his brothers? Well, I think there's an example that was set for him. And I want to look at the generation before Joseph and take a look at the relationship and the interaction between Jacob, Joseph's dad, and Esau, uh, Joseph's uncle. And so earlier in the book of Genesis, looking at chapter 26, we're introduced to these two guys, Esau and Jacob. They were twins, all right, and Esau was born first, which is very important during this time. Uh, fascinating fact about Esau is that he was a, had red hair and plenty of it. It's a fun fact about him. I like to share that with students, all right? But literally, as he's being born, on his heel was Jacob. Now, why this is important that Esau was born first is because during this time, birthright is uh, something that's very important. If you were the firstborn boy you are entitled to the birthright after your dad's time on earth was done. And so there was a great snapshot of Esau and Jacob being born, Jacob coming second, because this plays into effect later on in their lives. Their father Isaac's time on earth was coming to an end, and Jacob was upset that he had no part of the birthright. And so what he did is he decided to trick their dad, Isaac, into giving him the birthright. He did so, accomplished that. Esau found out and said, wait a minute, that's mine. I'm entitled to that. And it upset him. He held a grudge. He even plotted and and desired to kill his brother Jacob because of it. Now, this is where I also want to pick up Genesis chapter 33 because I want us to look at the interaction between Jacob and Esau for the first time after a large period of time had passed. Basically, the brothers separated. They moved to separate lands. Jacob went on about his life, ended up getting married, having many children, Joseph being one of them. Jacob caught word that uh, Esau was near. And he thought to himself, well, I wonder if my brother still wants to take my life, or can I earn favor in his eyes again? 
And so he gathered his family, he gathered his herd and flock and journeyed to go meet Esau. Let's take a look at this interaction, page 27 in the Bibles there, uh, uh, chapter 33, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Uh Uh-oh, right? He's probably thinking to himself, well, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to see my brother, but my brother came prepared with a whole bunch of people with him. Well, what he decided to do is to divide the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next. Check this out. Rachel and Joseph next. And then he himself went on ahead, bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Verse four, Esau ran to meet Jacob. He embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Verse 8, Esau asked, what's the meaning of these flocks and herds? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all that I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Think about the interaction between Jacob and Esau when Jacob stole the birthright. I love verse 4. Esau ran after him. They embraced one another. There is an incredible example of grace, incredible example of forgiveness, and a blessing that was there. But think about who was present to see this firsthand. Joseph was there. I can't help but think that Joseph grew up hearing about the conflict between his dad and his uncle. And then on this day, they're going to meet his uncle for the first time. And the last time he's aware, his uncle wanted his dad dead. Think about what Joseph saw that day. He saw his uncle and his dad embrace one another. He saw his uncle firsthand forgive his dad. I can't help but think that that was an example that played a role later on in Joseph's life when it came time to forgive his brothers. So as I look at this story and look at this example in the Old Testament, I think we have a great example on what it looks like to set a generational example for the next generation, the people who are sitting in the chair behind us. And that leads me to this. I believe that the decisions we make now can be an example for teenagers to follow in the future. Uh, This kind of shows up big time in my own life. I have had uh, many men and women who have come alongside of me in my life. And they've showed me and set examples for me um, on what it looks like to to love Jesus and and so forth. But as we look at this example of Esau forgiving his brother Jacob and Joseph forgiving his uh, brothers, uh, my mom set an incredible example for me um, when I was in middle school and, and then when I even started here at Grace. Uh, back when I was in middle school, my mom was driven to divorce my dad. Uh, my dad had a severe addiction, and there was time after time that my mom showed grace and tried to move on, but um, it just became too much. 
It was the last day of my sixth grade year when uh, I walked into the house and my bags were practically packed. And my mom looked at me and said, hey, we're going to be leaving. I need you to go say goodbye to your dad. And so I did so. I, I got in the car and we drove about an hour away to my great-grandparents' house where we ended up staying for the summer. But that night when we arrived there at my grandparents' house, uh, my mom sat me down and had a conversation with me. And I'll never forget this conversation. She said, Todd, you are my priority. You, uh, I, I want to do my best to raise you the best way that I know how. And I'm going to keep you uh, as a priority in my life until you are on your own one day. And she stuck to her word. In fact, she went and, and actually never uh, dated another guy, never remarried. Uh, that was her choice. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. That's just the decision that she made. She made me the focus. I was an only child, so it was just her and I. And so I went about my middle school and high school years, just my mom and I, and, and she lived to her word. Fast forward to 2012, uh, November that year, uh, my mom had passed away from uh, a 16-month battle of cancer. But leading up to her passing the weeks beforehand, there was another conversation that stuck out to me. And in this conversation, my mom, I came home from work, we sat down, and she began to share uh, kind of just the emotion and, and the weight that she has been experiencing. She looked at me and she said, Todd, I want you to know that I'm really sorry for divorcing your dad and that you've been living this almost 15-year gap of your life without a father figure. I just want you to know that I'm really sorry. She went on to explain that she also still loved my dad and that she forgave him. And I'll be honest, when I heard those words from my mom, I'll be honest, I, I didn't know that my dad was capable of being forgiven. I saw the pain that it caused my mom. I saw the pain and the damage that it did to my family. But to hear my mom say that she forgave him was powerful. Mom went home to be with the Lord, and at her service, uh, my dad shows up. It's the first time that I interacted with my dad since the divorce. You could imagine the emotions running through my head that day. I was able to have a conversation with him after the service, and I'll be honest with you, I was angry, because I'm like, it's been 15 years since I've interacted with you, Dad. There's a part of me that was sad because, well, he didn't even get a chance to say bye to Mom. Then there was a part of me that was experiencing joy because I'm standing in front of my dad again, which I didn't think would ever happen. I was able to look at my dad that day, and I said, Dad, I want you to know you still are my father. I want you to know that Mom forgave you, and I want you to know that I forgive you too. I would hope that we can rekindle this relationship. A powerful moment, this conversation with my dad. But I want you to know that the words that came out of my mouth that day, uh, the forgiveness that I was able to have in my heart towards him, was only because of the example that was set because of my mom weeks prior to that. Now, I share this with you because I believe we have an opportunity to make impacts to the next generation. And the examples and the decisions we make now can influence a teenager's life. In that almost 15-year window gap of my life, the void of not having a dad, I also want you to know that there were other men who showed up and filled that void. And I actually want to show you and demonstrate with you um, 
what influence can look like. And I encourage you, as I kind of go through and share with you the men and women who have impacted my life, I want you to begin thinking about who has influenced your life. And so here we go. This is Pastor Todd right here. I'll be honest, that's not a very good representation of me at all. That's more like it. (laughs) Some days I wish I was taller, but then you know what? It it pays off to be small sometimes. All right, so here we go. So here's Pastor Todd. I shared with you that my mom had incredible influence. She was a great example of someone sitting in the chair in front of me. My grandparents also played a huge role, especially my grandfather, because he was the most consistent man in my life, especially during my childhood. He was the man that was always there, always present, and someone that I could always go to. There was a man by the name of Matt. He was my youth pastor in middle school. At the stage of life when my parents were going through the divorce, Matt took me under his wing. He brought me in. Matt is the one who introduced me to Jesus when I was in seventh grade. Matt, one night after youth group on a Wednesday night, he was taking me home and he was dropping me off at my house. And there was a conversation that him and I had and he made one uh, statement, so important. He said, Todd, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised one day if you ended up in ministry. God used Matt in that moment to plant a seed. Matt had an incredible impact and influence in my life. Then when I went to high school, I had Dave. Uh, He was a pastor and a mentor to me. Dave took me again under his wing. Uh, Dave took me on my first missions trip to the Dominican Republic. Dave, my senior year in high school, when I had the opportunity to intern with my church, mentored me and, and took the seed that Matt helped plant. He took the seed and helped it grow. Because God used these men and the seed that was planted to help me understand that God was calling me to something bigger, calling me to ministry. And so Dave had an incredible impact in my life. Then there was Don. Don was a volunteer youth leader when I was in high school. Uh, My church was small growing up, and so we didn't have a full-time youth pastor. But Don and his wife gave up their time every single Wednesday. They both were full-time, you know, had full-time careers. But every single Wednesday night, they devoted themselves to being there and leading the, the youth ministry of about 20 students that were there. Don uh, ended up taking me to Momentum Youth Conference, uh, which we still take our teenagers to to, uh, to this day, uh, an incredible conference, and it was there that I became on fire for Jesus. Jesus started to work in my life and help me see things about myself, and, and my relationship with him took off, but it was because of a volunteer leader that helped me understand Jesus to a different level. Then there was men by the name of Rob and Glenn, They were my best friend's dads. Think about their influence. I got to see firsthand what it looked like for them to love their boys, what it looked like for them to be a dad. These guys actually showed me and demonstrated to me what it looked like to be a man. Rob actually showed me how to change a tire. These guys took me uh, fishing. They basically allowed and set an example for me on what it looked like to be a man. Incredible impact, incredible influence in my life. When I went on to college, there was a guy by the name of TK who was my mentor, my professor. In that stage of life, I'm figuring out what it means to now be an adult. I went 10 hours away from home uh, to school, so I had no family to lean in on, and TK took me under his wing. 
And what TK did was actually took the seed that Matt planted, the seed that Dave started to help grow, TK allowed it to get to a place where it was able to start producing fruit, to a place of where I'm even at today. He helped lead me to where I am. And so TK was an incredible impact and influence in my life. Then there were two other guys, Richard and Brad. They're coworkers, they're friends of mine, they're mentors of mine. And these guys are setting an example for me to follow on what it looks like to now be a pastor, what it looks like to love my wife well, what it looks like to, to raise my children in the way they should go and love them well. These are examples that these men are setting for me as they are sitting in the chair in front of me as I'm watching. As you look at this circle, every single one of these people had an incredible influence. And without them, I don't think I'd be standing in front of you today. And so I encourage you to begin thinking. Who's sitting in the chair in front of you? Who is influencing your life? Who is set in an example for you to follow? Now, I also want you to understand sometimes there's people sitting in a chair in front of us that it's not, the, and the example's not being set in a positive way. People always ask, man, what, what has it done to you not having dad a part of your life for all of those years? And I share with people, I said, that was an example that was set for something for me not to follow. And so for some of us, I understand that we have people that have not set positive examples, but I encourage you to be thinking about who is it that is in front of you setting a positive example for you to follow today. I believe here and now we all have the chance to impact the lives of teenagers, to impact the life of anybody who is sitting in the chair behind us. And so three things that I want to challenge you with today, here and now. The first one is this. Look behind you. Be intentional and recognize who is in the position behind you, looking at the example that you are setting for their lives. Parents, if you're in the room, I think you have the greatest opportunity. Your kids are positioned behind you in life. They are looking at you. They are seeing and watching your every move. Like I said, I believe teenagers are watching us. And I believe there's a responsibility that comes, a conviction that we need, and a thing, uh, uh, ownership that we have to take. And so parents, your child is behind you. If you're a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, right, you still have someone positioned, maybe it's your own kids, but it's also your nieces, nephews, grandchildren. If you're a teenager, you have people behind you as well. They could be your younger siblings. The example that you can set for them. Maybe it's even a peer. As it comes to their relationship with Jesus, you're setting the example for others to follow. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but impress that truth upon them. Psalm chapter 78. Teach them the goodness of who God is so that it can pass down generation to generation and not have a broken chain like we talked about last week. What happens is when we recognize and we are intentional about who's sitting in the chair behind us, we allow that truth to go down generation to generation. So here and now, I encourage you, 
Be intentional of recognizing. Look behind you. Who is positioned there? Here and now, I encourage you to look ahead of you. Who is it that's in the chair setting the example for you to follow no matter what stage of life we're in? I shared with you the one example that mom set for me of being able to forgive my dad when I didn't think he was capable of being forgiven. But I'll be honest, my mom also set the example of making sure I was at church every single week. She was intentional about church. She was passionate about being at church and being in community with other people. That passion of hers is now my passion. And the passion that I want my kids to have as they grow up. She prioritized church, and that's a priority to me. But there was one other thing that I want to share with you that my mom did. She never talked about it, never made a big deal about it, never forced me to do this. It's just something that I observed her do in her life. As she was wrapping up each day, she would always be intentional of spending one-on-one time with God. She would sit up in her room. She had this green gliding chair that she would sit in. I remember this picture. And she would sit there, and she would be reading the Bible. She would be highlighting. She would be making notes. She would be writing down even prayers that she had, some of those prayers even about me. And there would be times where I'd just be hanging out with her. I'd be watching TV as she just had her quality time with the Lord. She never talked about this, but as I think back on what mom uh, was doing, she was demonstrating to me a passionate relationship with Jesus. I, I want you to know I actually have kept her Bible with me And I use this as a token, a memory of her, but remembering that picture that she painted for me. She was passionate about Jesus. Listen, my mom, I could tell you she was perfect. She was an excellent mom, but she wasn't perfect. She had many flaws, but the one thing she did demonstrate to me was the love that she had for Jesus. And that love that she had helped me understand who Jesus was for myself and wanting the relationship that she had with him for myself. And this, I hope, passes down from her to me and to the people sitting behind me. Whether it's my own kids or the teenagers that I have the absolute privilege to come alongside of in life. I encourage you to think, who is positioned in front of you, setting the example for you to follow? What are you taking from them so that you can set the example for the next generation to follow as well? I encourage you to start somewhere. Start small. Maybe it is for you to even spend quality time with the Lord, opening up your Bible, reading, understanding who he is. Maybe it's being intentional of praying as a family around the dinner table before you eat or having intentional conversation about what they learned in Power Kids or in student ministries. It's never too late to start. Think about the example that's been set for you and what are you going to start putting into practice as those positioned behind you are watching. The last thing that I want to encourage you with, here and now we need to look beside us. And I believe this is very important. I love that our God has not created us to live life alone. He designed us to be in community. He designed us to be able to link arms with other people, same stage of life, to find encouragement, to spur us along. We were not created to be alone. 
And so I encourage you, like I shared earlier, if you are navigating uncharted territory in your life, you're not sure what it looks like to maybe parent, you're not sure what it looks like to even, you know, be a a good friend, I don't know. I want you to know that there are people that you can link arms with that can encourage you and help you through this thing called life. And so if you're not plugged in, I encourage you to make, have the boldness to take that step. Find a connect group, find a life group where people can uh, come alongside of you and help in those areas. As a student ministry, we actually exist for teenagers, for them to come and explore who God is and the purpose of why they've been created. I believe the students are fearfully and wonderfully made. I believe we all are. And my desire is for our students to understand that truth and that their identity would be locked in to who Jesus is and what he's doing in their life. But I also want you to know that we exist for you as parents as well. My desire is to partner with you. I do not know what it looks like to parent teenagers, but I will tell you this, I will work hard to putting a parent who might be in a position before us, who have already gone through this phase or season to help. You don't have to navigate it by yourself. As we explore who is behind us, ahead of us, and beside us, I encourage you, there's opportunity right here and now to even get involved in student ministries, to find ways for you to have influence and impact into the lives of young people. I'm going to invite the band to come out, and as they get settled in, I actually want to leave us some space to process the circle of influence that we have as we try to identify who are in the different positions. But I also want you to remember, though this conversation was specifically involving teenagers, I believe to its very core, it's more about discipleship. And that applies to every one of us. To its very core, discipleship is not age-specific. We will always have people positioned around us. I also want to make note that if you guys are sitting here, there was, there was a period of, of my life where I felt like I couldn't influence anybody else because of the things that I've done in my past. I carried a huge deal of guilt and shame for the decisions that I made. And I encourage you, if you're sitting here today and you are someone who might be experiencing that guilt and shame based off of the decisions that you've made in the past, I encourage you to use this time and space to kind of give that over to God. I encourage you to allow him to meet you where you are, to restore you. He's a gracious God, a loving God. And I believe that all of us have the opportunity to make an impact to someone who is positioned behind us. I believe Satan likes to creep into our insecurities, get us to believe that we're not good enough, especially being a parent. It's amazing how so many times I feel, I'm like, am I capable of raising these children? I want you to know that that is a lie. God has blessed us with our children. They are gifts. They are ultimately his children. And he looks at us and says, hey, I'm trusting you to raise them. Love me with everything you have. Set the example for them to follow. Impress that truth upon them. So I encourage you here and now, Look behind you, look ahead of you, and look beside you. Let's pray. 
God, thank you. Thank you just for the opportunity to be able to have influence. Opportunity to set the example for others to follow. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today. Help us understand that truth. Help us see that there are people positioned behind us. People who are looking at us and and as we set this example and what it looks like to run after you and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you reveal those people to us so that we know that we can be intentional of influencing their lives. God, help us see the examples that are set before us. Help us look at those examples and be able to put them into practice for the next generation to see. But then God, also make it clear to us who we can link arms with to navigate through this life. Would you reveal to us an opportunity of getting plugged in, maybe to a life group, Maybe it means serving to be able to have intentional influence. Whatever it looks like, Lord, would you reveal that to us now? And God, I pray that if there are individuals here who are carrying that weight of the past, God, would you give them the boldness and the courage to lay that before you now? Allow us to see that we can have an incredible impact into the lives of the next generation. We pray this in your name. Amen.